Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello, we're back again, and we're continuing in Matthew once more. And we're down to, let's see where we at, chapter 20, and we are in verse 17. So, um, the, Jesus and the disciples are on the way to Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, we all kind of know what happens there. But Jesus, in this travel, as they're going towards Jerusalem, calls it to their attention and decides to just point-blank share with them what's going to happen. Notice he says in verse 17, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, now, you know, anytime there's something really big um, to disclose, something big, you know, he needs to share, he has a tendency to take the disciples apart and just share it with them. Um, and so that's what he does here. He pulls the disciples apart from the, the, other, from the entourage that's traveling with him. And I think uh, at the end of... Uh, the end of this, I think we we see um, you know many continue to follow him. But anyway, so he calls the disciples aside and he says, uh, "Okay, we're going to Jerusalem." And he says, "Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge." and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now he just sums up everything that happens during that whole um, that whole final week, and we're about to get into that as we get into the next chapter. But, you know, in summary, he just tells them point blank, here's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to seize me. And I'm going to be placed uh, on trial. I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be betrayed. He doesn't tell him yet that it's going to be one of them. But he says he's going to be betrayed. Um, so that's kind of a, a huge deal for him to tell him that. He said, first of all, somebody's going to betray me. You would think somebody would be asking at that point who or how or when and, you know, that sort of thing. Um He's going to be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. So he says, I'm going to be put on trial, and I'm going to be condemned. You know, they're going to, they're going to sentence me to crucifixion. And he says, I'll be delivered to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge 
and to be crucified. So he tells them all the stuff that's going to happen. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. The scribes are going to find me guilty. They're going to, they're going to sentence me to death. Um, they're going to turn me over to the, to the Gentiles because they're the ones that has, actually have to enact the punishment. And, you know, you had to go through this whole thing about Pilate and all that sort of thing during the course of this that week. But, and he says, and they're going to scourge me and they're going to crucify me. Then he says, on the third day, he shall rise again. Now, this is big news. This is a major, major event that he's revealing to the disciples. You would think by now that, you know, they were, they were kind of getting it, that every time something important is about to be said or done, he calls them aside, and that's what he did. And then he tells them all these things that are going to occur, and every single one of them is a big deal. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be found guilty. He's going to be sentenced to death. You know, this is this is all major stuff. But there's no response. At least the Bible doesn't record a response here. Not at this point. In fact, as we read on, I really find it interesting what this triggers in their mind. Because what I think they heard out of all this and this is just my opinion, was that very last sentence is, in the third day he shall rise again. You know, they're listening. They obviously heard what he had to say, but they're not, they're not taking it in. I mean, he's telling this horrific um, series of events that's, that are, that's going to occur, and there's no, no response to that. No compassion, no, you know, we can't let it happen, nothing. None of that. The only thing I think they heard was that very last sentence when he says, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. And I'll tell you why as we get into these next few verses. Um, I think it shows us why. But their minds still, of course, are not on the Messiah about to do what he's about to do. They still are thinking Old Testament prophecy or Old Testament concept um, that the Messiah is going to come and rescue them from the Roman rule. Uh, that he's going to set up a kingdom here on earth and he's going to reign and he's going to have a throne in the whole nine yards. I, I really think, you know, they thought that this Jesus, I mean, they'd seen the miracles already that he's been doing. They are familiar with his power and his ability in, in their mind. And now he's telling them, he says, they're going to crucify me, but I'm going to rise from the grave after three days. And they're thinking, oh, wow, this is pretty big stuff. You're, you know, this, you're, you're going to be a big deal. And here's why I think that. Because in the following verses, it shows where their mind is and what they're thinking about. And then came to him, verse 20, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, James and John, well, the sons of Zebedee. Or, yeah. Uh, anyway, children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Then he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these two, these my two sons, 
may sit, the one on the right hand and the one on the other, and the other on the left in thy kingdom. So they're thinking, you're going to rise again. That's when all this is going to go down. Yeah, you're going to go through this horrific stuff, but it's just temporary. They're going to put you in a grave, and you're going to rise from the dead. And you're going to display your power, and you're going to take over. You're going to overthrow the kingdom. You're going to be the head honcho. And we want to cash in on that. Now, I've always wondered in this situation what really transpired because their mom came and approached Jesus on behalf of her two sons. Said, can one of them sit on your right hand and the other one on the left? She doesn't specify which one gets where. But he just went through this whole thing in the first part of the chapter talking about the kingdom of heaven and pointing out that there's no big eyes and little U's, that everybody's all the same. And yet their minds are still on places of importance, prestige, power. That's what they're thinking about. And that's why I think the only thing they really heard out of all this was, yeah, you're going to go through some bad stuff, but you're God. And you're the Messiah. And after just a few days of all this, you're going to rise up and you're going to overthrow everything just the way we thought. And, man, we want to be right there with you. You know, we're following you now. We're going to stay with you. One of us, we should be on the right hand and the left hand. So Jesus' response is in verse 22, but Jesus answered and said, you, don't, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, we are able now. They're, you know, they're not thinking this thing through. Because they really don't know what's in store for them. And, and you know, if you read the accounts of the apostles, they all died horrific deaths. Uh, and they went through some tough stuff. Uh, and they said, yeah, yeah, we're, gonna, we're able. We can do it. No big deal. We got this. And he saith in verse 23, and he saith unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In other words, yeah, okay, you are going to go through all this stuff. You follow me, it's not going to be easy. And you've yet to learn how just how hard it's going to be. But he says, to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. He says, that's not my call. I don't, I don't make that decision, my Father is going to decide who sits where. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. So now, not only are these two concerned about position and power and prestige and all that thing, but so are the others. Now they're bummed because these guys beat them to the punch. They want to sit on the right hand and the left hand as well. But Jesus called them unto him and said, you know, the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, uh, upon them, but it shall not be so among you. Now, he's going back to what he did in the first part of this chapter. He's reiterating, you know, what he was trying to teach them, that, you know, we're, we're all the same in the eyes of God. There's, there's not any, you know, big guys and little guys in the first and last and all that. He says... Um, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. 
And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. See, Jesus wants us not to crave his attention, not to crave his favor. He wants us to crave his salvation because that's what we need. We don't need to sit on the right hand or the left hand. There's no benefit to that. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, there's, there's a, it's not a big deal. There's only knowing Christ as your personal Savior. That's the only thing that ultimately really matters. <coughs> so let me see if we can wrap this up. i got about three minutes. See if we can get through the rest of this chapter. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. And they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still, called them, and said, What will ye that I should do unto you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. There's a great lesson to be learned here. I mean, what's happened is these blind men are crying out to Jesus for healing. Others that are following him are telling him, you guys, you know, just simmer down, simmer down. Don't bother the master. He's got other bigger fish to fry. He's got other things going on. Well, these guys aren't having it. And it says they just started crying out louder. Said, no, we want Jesus needs to hear us. We This is our chance. We, you know, he's the only one who can do anything to... Uh, to heal us, to, to accomplish what we need. Look, the lesson here in this passage is for those two who are afflicted. I mean, there's other things that can be said about those who didn't have compassion and, you know, were more concerned about their needs and this and that and the other, but the real lesson here is for the two men who wanted to be healed. They were forced to learn how badly they needed Jesus. Other factors were keeping them from Jesus. Other people were keeping them from Jesus. And they had to reach a point of desperation. They had to cry out with all they had in order to, to for Jesus to hear them. It doesn't say how far away they were from him, but there were obviously bodies, people in between them and Jesus. And so they and, and they were trying to prevent them from getting to Jesus. So they cried out as loud as they could. They said, no, we, we've got to do everything we can. This is our only chance. Folks, you only got one life. You only get one opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. And, and, and the only way to reach him is to need him, recognize in desperation how badly you need him, to reach out, call upon him with all that you have, and let God know, that you want to give your life to him, that only he can save you. Only Jesus can get us through this life. Only Jesus 
can give us the hope of heaven. Folks, there's nothing else that you can do that can get you there. Only Jesus Christ can do it, and you have to be desperate enough to call out with every fiber of your being to gain the salvation that he has to offer. He's a loving God. He had compassion here. He stopped and he healed these two. Only because they were persistent. There's so much more I could say about that, but we're out of time. But just let me leave you with the thought that Jesus is the only way. You need him. Call upon him. Make him your savior. Until next time, this is Steve. We'll see you. Bye.